0: We are back on the official SASTA podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, and you can find me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two b's, and now frequently on the old Instagram at hstebbings1996. And can you believe it? This is the penultimate week before the main event. Yes, SASTA Annual 2018, the greatest SAS event on earth, is just next week. If you haven't had a chance to get your tickets yet, I mean, the lineup seriously could not be better, with the likes of Box, Atlassian, and HubSpot founders all speaking. So get yours on Sastaannual.com. And when you purchase your tickets enter the promo code with HARRY, those three words, Drinks with HARRY, and not only do you get 10% off your ticket price, but thanks to the kind bank of Mr. Jason Lemkin, an exclusive invite to a Mojito only event with me, I really would so love to meet you in person. And if you're looking for tasters of amazing discussions of what the event could be like, then today's episode is a perfect example, as we welcome an incredible guest to the show, in the form of Mark Mader, CEO at Smartsheet, the company that allows firms the best way to plan, track, automate, and report on work. To date, they've raised over $105 million in funding from some of the best in the business, including the likes of Insight Venture Partners. Prior to Smartsheet, Mark served as Senior Vice President of Global Services for Onyx Software, leading the consulting and customer operations teams in the Americas, Europe, and Asia. And due to this incredible success, in 2015, Mark was recognized as Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in technology for the Pacific Northwest. I'd also want to say a huge thank you to Jason Lemkin for the intro today. We really do appreciate that. Also, a little hint, if you hear any construction In the background, there was construction in the studio during this interview. We have tried to minimize it and we hope you enjoy the episode as much as possible. However, before we move into the show state, how do I manage and measure my team with clear objectives? Well, you should try A Team to set clear, measurable objectives for your company, create a one page strategy that links to your execution and measurable progress, and align your entire company to what matters most. A Team uses OKRs to identify progress bottlenecks early, allowing you to scale your SaaS faster and better. team is the unified and integrated three-in-one platform for strategy objectives and performance management simply head over to a that's a-t-i-i-m.com and get a free SAS ceo's guide to okls for 2018 that's a-t-i-i-m.com that really is a must but it's now time for the show today and I'm thrilled to welcome mark mader ceo at SmartSheet. good that's
1: perfect okay i think we're warmed up
0: Mark, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show. Big hand to Jason Lemkin for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Mark. Absolutely. Look forward to it. I'd love to kick off today though, with a little bit about you and how you came to make your way into what I most definitely define as the wonderful world of SaaS.
1: Yeah, I came to it through an experience I had in a non-SaaS environment. And it was one where uh, I was working for a software company previously, which was in the client server realm. This is back, I think, circa 99, 2000, just to frame it for you. And it was one in which we had made the progress to the web, but it was in the format of a web front end against a client server back end. And I had the good fortune of serving an amazing customer. And we were about to do our third big sale into this financial. I would say global, probably in the global 2000, and we were disrupted by a SaaS company, Salesforce. So I got into SaaS via being disrupted. And one of the takeaways I had was I absolutely was so impressed by how that company had resonated with a business unit. That business unit had felt empowered to take action, deploy, unbeknownst to IT. And when we went into that meeting and we learned that this new business unit had already adopted without IT, IT knowing had displaced us from winning that deal. That really was the spark for me. That said, in my next career, I'm going to be with a SaaS company, and that was that was really how
0: it all got started. Can I ask what gave you the confidence to take the jump following that? Was it sheer inspiration from Salesforce and their kind of capabilities?
1: No, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's that. I think when you're in software for ten plus years and you observe how people work, you observe what their preferences are, what their tolerances are, um, how much people aspire to do greatness, and how little work they're willing to do to achieve it, <laughs> it starts shaping your opinion. And then you have these events or milestones or observations, which actually build your argument that give you the ammunition and the confidence to actually take a step. And what what I'll also be very quick to say is it's rarely, rarely, rarely centered on just one person. And one of the reasons our company succeeded is because a group of people had a shared vision. The timing from both an individual and a family standpoint in all of our cases worked and the stars aligned and funding happened and the company was formed. And I, I always find it interesting when people look, back and they say, well, it was because this one person, this single person had this amazing thing. Usually there are teams behind that one person. And in our case, we had a group of four co-founders. I came into the company six months later and the company was born.
0: Well, Mark, what a dream setup that is for me, because I want to focus the show today exactly on that team element and break it into a couple of different core elements, being the hiring, the assembling of world-class teams, and then kind of the scaling of those teams. How does that sound? Sound good? Perfect. So starting on market cycles and kind of a meta overview, I'm intrigued, On market timing, we're in particularly frothy funding times, meaning it's not only expensive
1: but also hard to hire. How do
0: you analyze hiring through market cycles?
1: Well, I would first say that it's so easy to look back and describe the market cycle we've just gone through, and it's incredibly difficult to predict it. So even though we think we are at a certain stage in a cycle, we actually don't know where we are relative to where the market's going to be a year from now or where it's going to be three years from now. So we think it's frothy. Are we in the first inning or the ninth inning of the game? Though it may still we still may have a lot of legs to go. So we actually don't know how, relatively speaking, cheap things are, expensive things are, until it plays out. So what I'm a big believer in is have your model, have your cadence, have your methodology, run those plays, and you have to not be in a position where you react to market changes. Because again, you're never going to know your relative position to what's about to happen. So I'm a big believer in that. Uh, Most people believe that amazing things happen quickly and fail fast and figure it out in 30 days. And if it doesn't work, reinvent, I'm actually a believer in more of the long game. And, you know, we've been selling our service now for 11 years. You don't go from zero customers to 90,000 plus customers in a week. This is learning over time, tried and true principles in terms of listening to customers, innovating in an informed state, picking people, investing in people, not expecting them to deliver magic within seven days. These are all things that take time. So actually don't subscribe to a reactive method based on market observation. You have to be aware of marketing to influence it but that does not dictate our every move.
0: You mentioned that kind of about the analyzing of teams and that we had Dave Kellogg on the show and he said that you essentially have 90 days when you enter a team as a manager to analyze the team before they become, I think his words were, your numpties. I'm intrigued, you moved in within six months of the business. How do you think about kind of that quick analysis and would you agree with the
1: 90-day analysis time? It depends on what stage the company is in. In that case, it was pre-product, pre-revenue. So there's probably more time if, if it was already uh, a going company concern with customers. I do think that time is probably spot on.
0: I am intrigued in terms of the financial element there. We mentioned the the frothy markets and kind of relativity being a difficult one to plan.
1: How do you think about paying up for candidates and the willingness to do so? I think there are a couple of dimensions when I think of the term paying up. One is in a pure economic sense and having both the uh, multiple dimensions on the economics, whether that be cash compensation or bonus or equity. Those are important pieces. And then there's the paying up from a scope of responsibility standpoint. And I would say that, that the best people we've hired have actually not been grounded in the pure economics. But they've said, what is my purpose? What kind of impact can I have? Does this inspire me? Is it something that I'm proud of when I share with my family what I do and who I empower? Those are things that actually strike a much more powerful chord. So on the paying up piece, it might be, hmm, to get this person, we may have to do something a little bit atypical in terms of responsibility set. And can the organization support that to get this amazing person?
0: In terms of kind of advice for startup founders in terms of establishing those those compensation and you mentioned the added dimension there of responsibility bands. How flexible should they be and when should they really start to construct
1: them? I think the advice that I would give is one needs to be mindful of of future decisions. And what I mean by that, one of the common mistakes that I observe with young companies is that they overtitle right out of the gate. You're an SVP. I'm an SVP. You're a C-level. I'm a C-level. Everyone's a C-level. Well, great. Well, when we want that next really amazing person, where do they go into the org? So, and yeah. that is... Is it
0: all C-level?
1: It, 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 it is C-level, but then there's the... <laughs> it could be C-level. But then there's the, well, the person who's the 15-year vet who's done it two times, who is a rainmaker, has this amazing strategy Strategic insight. That person should be possibly at a different level in the org. So what what I really subscribe to is when you're when you're starting out, don't overtitle. It's you don't need to have a C class to start a company. You don't need to have SBPs to start a company. And one of the things that to, to I think forge a very very powerful team. I think it is a combination of existing talent that has been with a team that has grown up and expanded, combined with amazing talent from the outside. And I think you've heard the adage of you know every two years you need to get a new executive. Team in if you're a high growth company. And I would say I don't fully subscribe, but that I think you do need to bring in talent. But to build an amazing team, I think you need to figure out a way to retain your best talent without making them feel like they've been alienated. And one of the ways to do that is to give yourself a little bit of room in terms of organizational levels. For instance, bring an SVP. We brought our first SVP in in year nine. Year nine? <laughs> so just, just to give you a sense. Yeah.
0: That's a brilliant one. I, I'm i intrigued. You mentioned the element of attrition there. We had laws. Nelson from Cloudera on the show. And he said that attrition is the biggest problem that SaaS companies face today in terms of kind of assembling teams. Would you agree with that? And have there been any learnings for you in terms of really retaining that top talent?
1: I think really encouraging people to articulate their expectations. And that can be on a uh, a project dimension, if it's an engineer, it uh, really identifying whether somebody wants to be on an individual contributor track versus a leader track. And we try to work really hard to celebrate both paths. It shouldn't be one of these, for you to be successful long-term, you need to be a leader of teammates. Not the case. If you're an amazing individual contributor who wants to be an architect and really doesn't believe their strength is in leadership, fine. Fine. That, that's totally appropriate. But I think too often, companies try to make that assessment without actually asking the person. <laughs> so they say, well, I think Harry would like to do this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him that promotion to run the team. That may be the most scary, unenticing thing you can possibly be offered. And then if you say, well, I'm not interested in that then we say, well, I, wonder, I guess Harry's not a team player. So too often, companies miss the basics in terms of engaging the employee in understanding their long-term desires and recognizing that over a 10-year period, five-year period, even a two-year period, people's preferences may change. So how do you listen for that signal?
0: That's a brilliant question. You could be talking to yourself here, Mark. How do you listen for that? Is that annual reviews? And also, do you set that framework for their desires upfront when you hire them and then review it annually? Or what's your process for this?
1: Well, there are a few mechanics. And, and one is the review cycle, which, but that's annual. I mean, there are long stretches of time between our annual reviews. We have all-hands meetings. We have monthly business reviews. We have, You have many settings in which you can see people participate, provide feedback, offer insights, and through conversation, through normal course of business, that can be assessed. I think the other piece is continuously encouraging from the very first new employee orientation session all the way through every single new employee, every single all-hands meeting we have, Continuing to encourage the feedback cycle. And and I think recognizing that if you say, well, we have an open door policy, go talk to your manager, go talk to the CEO if you have an observation or an idea, recognizing that 90% of the population will not take you up on that offer. So what are the mechanisms to actually receive the signal? And I'm a believer in providing both identifiable and anonymous methods for people to provide that feedback. And if you provide enough sources and pathways, you will capture that signal. Uh, And again, is it easy? No, it isn't easy. It actually takes effort. <laughs> but we see, you know, back to that human condition, people want all the greatness, they want all the retention, they want all the benefits. And then it's like, well, you realize you actually have to work to get that. That's something that you need to accept organizationally. And I would say um, there's always room for improvement there. But I think, you know, in our case, we've done a pretty good job of that.
0: In, in terms of that feedback that you mentioned, I have a lot of SaaS founders approach me asking really how to deliver it in the right way, be it the right tone, the right atmosphere, the right setting. What's your take on, on delivering feedback the right way? And has it changed over time since you're running of a- Sheet.
1: yeah I think one of the learnings that I've picked up early in the last year has been it's uh, I think people over index on the feedback itself and they under appreciate or focus too little on the speed with which and the latency that surrounds that feedback and we had a wonderful speaker in at an all hands meeting recently Kim Scott radical candor oh, and, show uh, yeah and, and Kim's and Kim's perspective is you really need to be mindful of that latency so it's it's both the content and the posture and the tone and all that goodness and then also the speed with which and I would say that has really influenced my engagement style and that of the the team in the last year that's sort of what I first think of when you ask that question
0: in the case of uh, feedback not driving the results that that maybe one wants as a leader and one needs to take action and and maybe let someone go what advice would you give to founders maybe contemplating this action first and then secondly
1: actually engaging in the process of letting someone go I think the um, one of the keys is no surprises and that's something where if you feel as though someone is not performing at the level, uh, you need to ask yourself, is the person aware of your sentiment? And that, need, that, is, that is sometimes one can often fool oneself into thinking that, oh, yeah, that person I've been totally fair. I've given all that great feedback. That is something that one must have, have a true sense of. And I think one also needs to, I think when giving feedback, recognize that it is not your job to tell someone how they are. That is one of the worst things you can do. What you can say is, my observation is, my feeling is. Here's how. Here's my perspective. Because the second you launch into this is so, and it's binary, and you can't, you're gonna, you're gonna alienate that person. And what's worse is, not only will you alienate that person and put that people on their heels, that story will spread. So if you become known as a leader who dictates or mandates or claims certain things that are hard truths, recognize that there's always the spectrum. And it's not that you can't do something. It's a matter that, I have had to make the call as a manager to say that either the likelihood or the cost or the time elements don't align with my needs. So it's not a you can't do it, but it's more we don't have the time to do it. We can't afford to do it. And the probability of us reaching this outcome aren't sufficient. And that is actually a very different way to send a message to someone than say, guess what, Harry, you can't do it. That is a non-starter. And I think from a fairness principle and keeping people on side, you have to recognize every one of those conversations you have has a ripple effect, whether it's, through the last door, whether it's through hallway conversations, whether it's someone who does a reference check on you years later. So I think that's sort of the method of how you communicate with people. And again, is it easy to do? Absolutely not. Is it the right thing to do? I think so. And
0: I think in many cases that ripple effect also can turn into the culture for companies if it's uh, so kind of dispersed amongst the grassroots. I'm intrigued because you've said before that there's an element of IQ matters when it comes to culture fit. I'm intrigued. How much of a role does culture fit play in making that perfect outperforming candidate as balanced
1: compared to IQ fit? I'll, I'll respond in two ways. Uh, the first is I got some great guidance from a mentor years ago. And they said, if you have someone who is a perfect culture fit, but they do not meet the IQ bar, the likelihood of them succeeding is low. If they have the IQ clearance, but they don't have the culture fit, they may succeed. You will have, a, you will likely have a home run if you have an amazing culture fit slash ad and an IQ fit. So people tend to overweight culture and they say, well, they're such a great person. I'm going to have an amazing ability to coach up and train and we'll sort of develop the IQ over time. I think that is a very risky proposition, not because you couldn't be successful doing that, but you may not have the time to do it and you have to allocate your investments accordingly. So I, I think that that emphasis on the skill set. And then not only saying are they a culture fit, but to, to use a term from what book I recently read from Magdalena Yeschel in Power Up, she talks about not indexing on culture fit, but focusing on the term culture ad. And those are really different terms. And it's something that we've actually started to do now, whether it's on the dimension of skills or a personality type or a diversity spectrum. These are all things that, that we look for now in terms of the ads, not the fits. You mentioned that the element of kind of coaching
0: up, so to speak. If I pose a slightly controversial view, um, very un-English of me to do, I'm intrigued. Is it not kind of the role of the manager to really manage that upscaling of the individual? And if they're not quite there, is it not something that can be developed internally?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One one can make those investments. And then you as a manager, as an elite manager, need to continuously weigh, can I afford to do it? And again, it's not, can they ultimately be that person or not? Is Do you have the time, the patience, the, (laughs) the management of their, if they're deficient in how they engage their peers, and you're continuously having to shore up and sweep behind them. That's a cost to you, and you need to make that assessment. And again, people look for the easy answer: can they do it or can't they do it? Well, it's, it's complicated. That's the reality, <laughs> and you as a manager need to need to be aware of it, and then make those investment decisions accordingly.
0: I mean, you said to me before that you really need to determine whether someone has the aptitude to acquire new skills. I mean, mm-hmm. kind of pre-hire. How does one, and how do you really look to assess this in the hiring process, where maybe you mm-hmm. don't get the full picture of one's potential ability?
1: It comes down to tell me a story, Harry. And <laughs> what I mean by that is if you come in to an interview or someone does and they talk about their amazing adjectives, all of their values, I'm innovative, I'm driven, I'm supportive, I'm, and they go on and they drone on and on and on. Wow, that sounds like an amazing person. Okay, Harry, tell me about that one time. Tell me about when you were innovative, like in the last six months. Tell me one story about where you, you flexed your innovative muscles and you go, well, mm, uh, mm. okay, Awesome. You're great at spouting adjectives. You can't actually describe to me the motion or the action. So we we really test for someone's ability to demonstrate their values in motion. And I care more about actually the elements of their method than I do their traits. So what I mean by that is instead of talking about this innovative spirit and their drive and how supportive they are of their peers, tell me about how curious you are. Tell me about when you observed something, how that led to some idea that was formed, how you. Read Research that idea and vetted it with others, how you actually enrolled others and ultimately made a recommendation which was supported, which you executed that led to an outcome, either a customer success or a hiring of an amazing person or revenue growth on this new product line. If you can't tell those stories, you're likely just telling me a fabricated myth. And those are the things you can test for in an interview. But you need to have a very deliberate line of questioning. And then the other piece is after they've told you this amazing story, oh, don't take their word for it. And the higher the more senior the person, the more rigorous you have to be on background checks. And and uh, I would say amazing companies who have a very good hiring success rate, they background the heck out of their incoming candidates.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I, I do want to touch on one element, though, from a previous show, which we did with Mark Pincus. And he said that when really determining the abilities of candidates, he looks for people with broken resumes. How do you think about that? And is that something that you'd subscribe to? Maybe someone who's come close, tasted it, but maybe fallen
1: just short? I can see that. Let's put it this way. I I don't say, hey, recruiting team, we need to find only people who have had massive failures in their background. (laughs) That's like, no, that's not a prereq for us. I totally get that point. One of the really things you test for is if someone does have a jog in their resume or they weren't successful, do they own it and do they recognize what they took from it or do they try and skirt past it quickly? And it's sort of how that person's tone is and reflecting upon that. That says a lot about the individual. But again, in reference checks also, it's it's an opportunity for you to test for those and just How they told the story, is it aligned with what their previous co-workers said? But again, we don't make that a top prio in terms of who we target.
0: I'm intrigued in terms of output over input. We might have jumped a step there because obviously majority of cases, one measures performance with output. I'm intrigued discussing that and output versus input. How do you assess this complicated balance between the two? And do you think maybe one deserves the majority of one's attention?
1: I think it's very difficult to take action on output measures. And when we think about, let's take an output measure like revenue growth. We desperately want to grow revenue by 62% next year. Okay, great statement. We're all on board for that. To what degree can the person articulate the streams that support that outcome? Does it mean we have to do a certain type of advertising? Does it mean we have to do a certain type of inside sales motion? Does it mean we have to do a certain type of expansion within an existing brand? The inputs are actually the things that drive the outcome. So people often talk about goal setting and they talk about key results. And that's, that's great. Those are vitally important. But to go upstream and actually make part of that monthly reporting, that weekly reporting, the behaviors that lead to those outcomes, that is something that is actually the key to the success. So when we think about that whole stack and how does somebody understand how an input and an output are tied to one another and how you can't be overweighted on one versus the other. I'll give you an example of overweightedness in marketing very often. Someone will say, Harry, I had an amazing month. I got 12,000 leads for our SaaS product. Okay, that sounds really exciting. 12,000. Amazing. Well, to what degree were those 12,000 engaged in the product? To what degree did those people stay in the experience for more than 12 minutes? To what degree did those people, after their 12 minutes, decide to share to someone else that exhibited one of the key markers for future buy? To what degree, after they did that, did they actually purchase? So the marketing person who is just so excited about all the leads they got, unless you can articulate how it flowed through and whether it, quote, mattered, <laughs> it doesn't actually matter you can't do that. So that's where we talk about the inputs and outputs. And when people look at an activity measure and they say, I was successful by generating this activity, they need to understand the pathway all the way through. And uh, and that's what we talk about with inputs and outputs. Can I
0: ask, in terms of, kind of analyzing both input and output, is that kind of a, a meta perspective of post-mortem analysis when analyzing internal activities and their effectiveness? Is there a framework to do so?
1: I think there is. It's And, and part of it is having, I call it a cross border mindset. And what I mean by that is you have these handoffs from team to team to team. So one handoff is from our demand gen team to our inside sales team, the handoff from our sales team to our customer success team, the handoff from our customer success team with the support team. You have all of these different points that signify transition. And in some cases, those are cycles that are continuous. And so when we do monthly business reporting, for example, we don't, okay, call in the demand gen team. Okay. Thanks for your time. Call in the support team. Thanks for your time. We actually have a very significant number of people in the room for half a day listening to every single team. So you might say, boy, Mark, that sounds really expensive. It is really expensive. But the opportunity for someone to observe what that pathway is through the company so that they can add value or they can learn, that is vitally important. So I think we've really pushed hard to get that full life cycle understood by people, even though it carries a very high cost.
0: We had Shan Sinha on the show recently, and he said that accidents happen at intersections. And- You mentioned handoffs there. How do you then kind of think about that handoff element and creating kind of seamless lines of decision-making throughout the company? Now it's scaled up and significant in terms of Mm headcount.
1: I think compared to when we were you know, whopping 17 people to when we were 200 people to 500 people, we're almost 800 people now. The mindset of ownership is fundamental. So even though I may be on the social media team here at Smartsheet and I have an observation or my method of engaging with someone when I'm in the office, To what degree does our tech ops team, does our 24 by 7, 365 team hear the signal that is emitted in my area? I'm not in tech ops. It's not my job. But if I have the mindset of 24, 7, 365 awareness of signal, maybe I should ask them, hey guys, at two in the morning when something happens, what happens to that signal? (laughs) This is something that is outside of their direct responsibility set, but that mindset of ownership and caring about your book of the business through someone else's lens, that is so critical. And I think when you get bigger, the temptation is to fracture and to say, well, it's that team, it's this team. As long as I have my SLA to my interface, I'm good. No, it's that mindset of whole customer experience that needs to be fostered. And then when it happens, like we had a great case yesterday where someone made an identification about some nefarious behavior where someone was trying to spoof a site. It happened within support. They engaged our security team who engaged tech ops. Handshakes were very quick within an hour, I think it was resolved. Now that story will get celebrated at our next all hands, right? So we, we identify these moments and then you promote the heck out of them. And that really instills this passion and this interest in, in providing that experience. Fundamentally about kind of preventing silos from being created, correct? It's sort of the, the fundamentals of growth. They will get created and then you, you need to try to break those down. You need to continuously assess them and, and recognizing that, you know, very often people get high centered on, oh, at the two, 200 employee mark it gets really really tough and at the 500 employee mark it's actually something that if you take your eye off something and you say well we're good for the next few hundred employees the next really tough marker is 500 your cost of dealing with it is really really high so we have this thing of like do it quarterly do it quarterly and keep the cost within a reasonable frame if you if you decide to step four stairs at a time going upstairs better have some good quad muscles right uh, i'd rather how about how about you take a step at a time yeah no, and, I, I love i love that analogy <laughs>
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would love to dive into a 60 second faster on that quad muscle analogy and, and ask when is a stretch VP a stretch too far so 60 seconds per answer
1: a stretch too far it's a stretch too far when at the 30 60 and 90 day mark you keep hoping for the person to perform but you haven't seen evidence of them clicking in and on the third turn of the crank if they're not meeting your expectation you've probably gone too far management upscaling most important role of CEO agree no I would say the most important part of a CEO's role is to inspire and set vision and give people purpose for their daily jobs. What about your favorite SaaS reading material? Rainy Day, what do you sit down to? It's a, it's a lot of different channels, right? Uh, I'm a big reader of articles. The two books that, uh, one I just finished, Magdalena Eshel, Power Up, First Investor in Salesforce, an amazing woman who is really focusing on fairness principle within companies and communication. The book I'm about halfway through right now, Hit Refresh from Satya Nadella, a very well-written book about uh, MP- empathy and competing in a noble way, I would say.
0: And then let's finish on what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the start of your time with Smartsheet?
1: Don't get too fixated on reality in the sense that reality and perception are both vitally important to your success. Love that, Mark. As I said, I was so looking forward to this show, but thank you
0: so much for joining me today. And it's been such a pleasure to hear more. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. My word, what a guest Mark was to have on the show there. And if you'd like to see more from Mark, you can find him on Twitter at Mark Likewise, we'd love to see you behind the scenes here at Sasta. You can find me on Snapchat at HStebbings with two Bs. You can also find us on Instagram at hstebbings 1996 But if you want to do more than just see us on social network, we would love to see you at Sasta Annual 2018, the world's greatest SaaS conference now, just one week away. If you haven't got your tickets to see founders from the likes of Atlassian, Box, HubSpot, then that really is a must. And if you head over to Sasta Annual Manual.com. You can get them there. And when you purchase your tickets, enter the promo code Harry. Those three words, Drinks with Harry. And not only do you get 10% off your ticket price, but thanks to the kind bank of Mr. Jason Lemkin, you also get an invite to a Mojito-only event with me. Amazing that that is somehow an incentive. But as always, we so appreciate all your support. And before we let you leave today, how do I manage and measure my team with clear objectives? Well, you should try a team. To set clear, measurable objectives for your company, create a one-page strategy that links to your execution and measurement Measurable progress and align your entire company to what matters most. A Team uses OKRs to identify progress bottlenecks early, allowing you to scale your SaaS faster and better. A Team is the unified and integrated three-in-one platform for strategy objectives and performance management. Simply head over to a team.com, that's ATIIM.com and get a free SaaS CEO's guide to OKRs for 2018. That's ATIIM.com. That really is a must. As I said, we so appreciate all all your support and cannot wait for next week's episode which will be released one day before sasta annual 2018 begins